<laughs> okay. <coughs> if someone would pay you a million dollars, if you could say the most meaningful thing, the most meaningful thing ever that you could possibly say, that you personally could possibly say, what would you say? To say the next sentence has to be the most meaningful thing that you could possibly say. What would you say? <laughs> in the parsha, actually not in the parsha, in the chumash there's a pasuk like this: "Reishas truma." The beginning of your dough, you should give chala. The beginning of your dough, you're supposed to separate chala. It says that the reason why this mitzvah was given to women specifically is because. Uh, Adam Harishan, Adam, was called the dough, the challah of the world. God made Adam from the earth. So Adam was like the challah of the world. So Hashem gave Adam and Chava the, uh, this, the mitzvah of Eitz And Chava was given the ability to rectify the sin of the Eitz through the three mitzvahs, the mitzvah of challah, the mitzvah of Ne'er Shabbos, and mitzvah taras mishpacha. These three mitzvahs were given to her to to purify and to perfect the world. So, the word for arisa sechem, which means dough, is also related to the word arisa, which means bed. So Baal Shem Tev says, just like you're supposed to give to Hashem the, the first of your dough, you're also supposed to give to Hashem the first word that you say after when you come out of out of your bed. And how do you do that? You do that by saying Maidan. <coughs> and Baal said the first words you say during the day, they have very, they're very potent, they're very powerful. And by saying Maidaani and thinking Maidaani, the very first thing you do when you, wake, when you wake up, that is a very powerful tool to guide the rest of your thoughts and words throughout the day. But the question is, where do you want to get to? In other words, Maidaani is very powerful in helping you get to the right place. But what is the place you want to get to? What are the words you want to say? <coughs> like the uh, Cheshire cat uh, told Alice, what did he tell her? Uh, he said to her, where do you want to go? Because you're going to get somewhere soon as long as you know where you want to go. So Moda'ani helps guide us where we want to go, helps guide us that we should be how we want to be, but where do we, where do we want to be? What is Moda'ani helping us get to? So before we get back to Moda'ani and the words that we want to say, I want to talk a little bit about the halachas of challah. Um, first of all, how? First of all, the quantity of dough that's needed. Now, this is not a, a man mitzvah, and therefore I might make a lot of mistakes. I'm not very familiar with the kitchen, so uh, if you hear something that sounds weird to you, please pipe up because it's probably wrong. So the there is a mitzvah of separating challah from dough. How much flour do you have to use to be chayiv to be obligated? To separate challah with a blessing. So according to Chaim No, which is our custom, if you're using 1.6 kilo of of uh, flour, you have to separate challah with a bracha. If it's 1.2 kilo, then you separate challah without a bracha. That's that's the amount of of flour. If it's less than 1.2, you don't have to say you don't separate challah at all. You don't have to, or you can't. You don't. You don't do it. You don't do it. Okay. Now. If you are using a thick batter, a thick dough, and you decide to use that dough to cook something, like to make noodles, 
to make a kugel, to make um, babka. Huh? babka. babka. Um, we'll get to babka in a second. Uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think babka would be the same thing. Yeah, babka is a th- thick, thick batter, right? Okay. Yeah. So then, but babka, you're baking. Let's say you want to cook something with a thick batter. So if you're going to if you're going to cook something with it, so then you separate challah without a brach. If you make a thick batter and you're and you're going to cook with it, you separate challah, but without a brach. If you are using a thinner batter or a liquidish thing, then you separate challah again after you bake without a brach. So let's say you're making a cake. A honey cake, a uh, pound, a um, sponge cake. So using a thin, a thin batter, and so when you, if you're using the amount of flour that would require you to separate challah, 1.6 with, even if it was 1.6, um, you wouldn't say a bracha. After you finish baking, you would separate from the actual cake for challah without a bracha. But you would you be required to do that as long as you're using again 1.2 kilo. Sounds familiar? What? Even with the cake, yeah. I would ruin the cake. What? I would ruin the cake. After you bake it. Exactly. Oh, after you bake it, you ruin the cake. You, cut, you can cut off a piece, no? You can cut a piece of the cake? Yeah, after... If you, if, like, let's say you're, you have a business, then you make cake, then you might, might rise that. So let's say you make a big batch of, of batter. Right. Can you bake, like, a little... Pan of cake and and have that be a separate step. Yeah. If you're using like. Because you only have one cake that's going to be challah for everything else. Is that what you think? Um, so in other words, you you made the you made the uh, dough, and now you want to take off some of that dough, and that should be challah. Yeah. And like put it put into like another. It's going to be like five pans of cake, like different separate pans, and right. then you have like a separate little one. That's yeah, so you don't have to cut into the cake after it's baked. Uh, it says over here that you're supposed to specifically do it after it's baked. I don't know um, what. And then, so then, can you cut a piece out of the little one? Well, how much? You know how much you have to separate from chal anyways. You can separate it a lot. Right, se- exactly. Separate. It's it, it, it technically biblically it's enough to separate a tiny bit, but customs are separated kazayis. Kazayis is about twenty-seven grams. Okay. Um, let's say you have a dough that you're using to uh, bake uh, bagels. And you're using, instead of water, you're using fruit juice. So the halacha is, if you're using fruit juice, you separate challah without a brach. If you're using a very soft, very uh, liquidy um, batter, and you're going to cook with it, then you don't need to say any brach, then there's no Chal separated at all. So it's, if, it's, if, it's, if it's a uh, batter that's liquidy and you're cooking with it, not baking with it, then you would also be, it would be exempt completely from chal even without a brach. Okay. Um, and what if you have like different batches? Like big we end there in a second. Okay. Okay. If you have two separate doughs. And you, they have the same function. You can use the same. You can use both of these doughs for challah. And each of these doughs, that English word, well, I mismade it one. And each of these doughs 
is has is one point six. Okay, so you have two big doughs, and each of them is one point six. Uh, so the halacha is, you say a bracha and you separate challah from one of them for both. Okay. Okay. If they have two separate functions, one is for challah and one is for cake. So then you separate from individually from each of them, but you only say one bracha. Say one bracha and you separate from both. Well, again, from cake you don't say a bracha, but let's say there was one was for raisin challah and one for was for chocolate challah. Oh, so if they're different flavors, they have to be separate. If they're different flavors, they have to be separate. Well, I'm saying let's say there's two different doughs. They're not connected to each other. Oh, okay. The two different doughs completely. You're using the same base dough. Yeah. You're putting the okay. filling. But let's say they're not in the same place. They're two different. They're, they're not in the same place. They're not in the same right. batch. Batch. Mixture. Mixture. Yeah. Container. Okay. So it's a special schooler for women to make challah, especially before Shabbos, and it's a schooler, it's a blessing, to have a easy birth, and it's customary before. Cooking in general, especially before making challah, to get stuck. Um, the age of the person separating challah, you run out of, you, you're saying you run out of money very quickly if you, if you separate challah, get stuck every single time, right? <laughs> well, but but, but uh, that's the Rebbe writes that it, it's a custom. That's why actually the Rebbe said that when you're in your kitchen, you should have a stuck up box attached okay. to the wall. In fact, the Rebbe said to one woman who came by there by dollars, the stuck up box should not be next to the wall, it should be attached to the wall. That was exactly the situation that she had in, in her home. She had a tzaka box next to the wall. So that, that's, that's, that's a separate idea, just in order that the house should be a house of tzaka, that it should be attached in some way, at least with tape or something, the tzaka box should be attached to the wall. <coughs> but anyways, but before you, in, in the kitchen specifically, um, how old do you have to be separate chala? So it's better for someone who is above the age of barabas mitzvah separate chala, but if the person is at least a uh, girl's 11 or a boy's 12, it is, if they did it, it works. Uh, at what point in the process of baking do you separate challah? You can't separate challah when it's flour. To wait until it's a, already a dough. And as I mentioned before, you should separate at least a 27 grams or an ounce uh, to be used for challah. You could say the bracha while you're sitting down. And when you say the bracha, you separate the dough. And then you say, Harei ze challah. This is challah. Let's say you separate the dough and you forgot to say the bracha. So as long as you didn't say the words Hareza Chala, you didn't say, yeah, this is Chala, you could still say the bracha. Once you said Hareza Chala, you cannot say the bracha anymore. Let's say you separate the Chala, and the Chala falls back into the dough. What do you do now? You have this holy, sanctified thing that you're not supposed to... You know, when, once you separate Chala, what are you supposed to do with it? You're supposed to wrap it in silver foil and bake it separately, cook it, cook it separately, uh, burn it separately than everything else. If you can't do that for whatever reason, by the way, you can wrap it in two wrappings and throw it in the garbage. If for whatever reason you can't burn it. Um, well, how quickly do you have to burn it? That's a good question. I don't know. I guess the point is that no one should use it. No one should, it, sh- it shouldn't become a stumbling block. Someone that, that someone might make a mistake and use it. But um, so I, I'm not sure exactly how long, but it should be fast enough that it doesn't become something that's that's uh, uh, might get used to the wrong thing. Um, okay, so the reason you, can, you you have to put it in silver foil, you can't just burn it on top of the grates mm-hmm. because you don't want the the uh, the kedusha of the challah to go into the grates. So 
Now you have this challah and you got mixed back into your dough. What do you do now? So the interesting thing is that you need to annul your challah. You have to go to three rabbis and they have to annul your challah. But don't worry, you could send your... It's, some, sometimes it's okay to send your husband on a mission to annul the vow for you uh, or, or someone, anybody... To, to know the vow for you, but either way, you have to know the chala because the chala is mixed in. It's not part of. You have a holy dough mixed in with everything else. Yeah, like, yeah. You take a little extra just like pop right on top it's yeah. not right you can't like separate it it's like a 160th like thing is because since there's a way to make it better you know it's something which could become fixed in an easier way never becomes nullified that's one reason why chametz never becomes nullified because after Pesach it's not considered chametz anymore whatever okay um, let's say you have several uh, doughs, and each of these doughs does not have enough. Each of them is not 1.6, let's say, oh, yeah. and you want, you, want, you want to join them together so you could say the bracha on separate challah. So the lacha is you could join them together by just putting a cloth over all of them together, and they are then joined, and you can now separate challah from, from the. It would consider like one batch. Similarly, you if you. We don't have to do that for the two big batches that. You only take one from? Like, do you still put the... the no. That? that was in a situation where each of them had it sufficient. Each of them was 1.6. Oh. When each of them was 1.6, so then you could separate one challah for both. As long as they had the same function. If you had two different functions, they could separate two different, two different challahs. But now, each of them doesn't have enough for challah, you put a cloth over it, or physically attach them, it's probably easier to put a cloth over it, and then they're considered like one. Also... If you put several baked items into the same bag or into the same container after they're baked, if it's considered like one um, dough, and therefore it would require a challah. So let's say you bake several things and then put them into the same box, same or same bag. So then you would need to separate a challah from that bag, from from whatever's in that bag. Um, let's say Shabbos comes, and then you suddenly realize you didn't separate challah. What do you do then? So the halacha is, it's interesting, interesting, Eretz Yisrael, in general, has more of a weighty obligation to have challah, than in, because the Torah says you should separate challah when you come to the land of Israel. Mm. And biblically, we're only obligated to separate challah when all the Jewish people come to Israel. So even though today not all the Jewish people live in Israel, still there's more of an obligation to separate challah in Israel than outside of Israel. So in Israel, if you got separate challah before Shabbos, it's a complicated way you need to do But outside of Israel, basically what you do is, is you just put aside some of the challah that so after Shabbos you should put it aside you should, you you will separate challah from the part you set aside. Okay, uh, let's say you separate the challah and the challah, there's no challah there anymore. The challah is gone. The challah you separated is now gone. What do you do? So although you said a bracha and everything, you don't have to re, you don't have to re. You lost, re, it. You lost it. it. You lost it. What? Someone stole it. Someone stole the challah. What do you do? So Allah is, once you separate it, you don't have to worry about what happens to it. If it's gone, it's gone. And the challah is still done. Okay. Any any questions that we did so far? Okay. So getting back to our original subject, which was our words, the words that we say and how powerful they are. So we find uh, an interesting thing about Noah. There's no one in the entire Tanakh gets complimented as much as Noah. God says, Noach, you are a tzaddik, you are perfect, 
you walk before me. Nobody gets complimented, complimented like him. Moses doesn't get, doesn't get any compliments. Torah never says that Moses was a tzaddik. Torah says he was humble. It doesn't say he's a tzaddik. Joseph, Yosef tzaddik, does not call this explicitly in the Torah. He's not called a tzaddik. The only one who gets Hashem does, keeps on going with the compliments is Noah. And the question is why? I mean, Mr. Shalach lived the longest in history. <coughs> he must have been pretty amazing because God delayed the flood seven days after his passing until the seven days of Shiva were over. And yet the Torah doesn't say anything about Mr. Shalach. We don't know nothing about him. The Torah doesn't say any praise about him. And he lived the longest. He was such a wonderful person. Hanoch. Torah talks about last week's, last week's parasha about a man named Hanoch. Hanoch was someone who was so such a tzaddik that God uh, took him and he served. He stopped being a human being and he became an <coughs> angel called Matatrim. And, he, and his job is the, is the royal angel, the royal scribe. He writes down the merits of the Jewish people. Uh, the Talmud actually says how he is given permission to sit down in heaven, usually in front of God, there's no sitting, but he can sit down when he writes the marriage to the Jewish people. Either way, Hanoch stops being human, becomes angel-like, and the Torah doesn't say anything special about him. And the only one that the Torah really goes on and on and talks tells how special they are is Noach. And Noach wasn't really that special. What I mean is, the some commentaries say that when the Torah says he was tzaddik in his generation, what does that mean? Do remember, remember? Only in his generation. If he will be living in another generation compared to Avram, he will be anything special. So why is the Torah telling us? And, and we know we find other things. You know, Jewish people today were called children of Avraham. We're also children of Noach. We're also children of Noah. We don't call, we're not called children of Noah. Why don't we call children of, children of Noah? Why children of Avram specifically? What's so great about Avram being better than Noah? So some say that Noah was what's called a tzaddik in a fur coat. When you're cold, you put on a fur coat and you're warm. Ah, everybody else is still cold. Well, you're okay. It doesn't matter what happens to everybody else. That's what Noah felt. God says, I'm going to destroy the world. So Noah doesn't say, God, how can you do that? Like Avram does many generations later, when God wants to destroy the city of stone. Noah's like, okay, what do we do now? How do I survive? So because Noah was like the proverbial tzaddik in the fur coat who just cares about himself, therefore we don't follow in his ways. We are called children of Avram. Interesting thing, the Torah describes Noah, the Torah originally calls him Ish Tzaddik, a man who was a Tzaddik, and then later on the Torah calls him Ish Hadama, the man of the earth. But Moshe, Rabbi Moses, the Torah calls him first an Egyptian man. When Moses saves the daughters of uh, Yisrael, the first Torah calls him a, man, a Egyptian man, and then the Torah calls him a man of God. <coughs> so Meshachachim explains, because the reason for this is because if you're out for yourself, although you might be a tzaddik, but you end up going to get, if you're only out for yourself, you're going to get, um, you know, you're not going to be able to maintain your integrity if you're only out for yourself. Moshe Rabbeinu was out for the Jewish people. He's an Egyptian man. Sorry about that. Moshe Rabbeinu was an Egyptian man. He was he was there for the people out in Egypt, and yet, what did he become? He became an Ishalakim, man of God. Because he was there to tell people. And Torah is saying that's why we're called children of Abraham, because a Jew has to be centered around the people around them, what they need. So, Noah had all these efficiencies. Fine. And yet the Torah says such great things about him. Why? The answer is, hey, it wasn't my fault everybody came late. <laughs> I would have been finished already but if you guys would have come on time. All right. I'll, just, and, and, I'll just, and, and with these two thoughts. Here's the first thought. 
The reason why God praises Noah so much is precisely because he wasn't so special. The Torah is telling us that you might, if you tried to compare yourself to Avraham, to Moshe, you'd say, listen, I'm not Av, not Moshe. But the Torah says about Noah, he wasn't so special. And, and, and so you look at yourself and you say, well, I'm not so special. How could I do it? How could I do my mission when I know that I am missing all these great things? So the Torah says, if you want to know something, Noah wasn't that special. Some tzaddikim say about Noah, he wasn't that great. And yet, God says, you know what? Despite the fact he had these temptations, and he had all these things around him that brought him down, and he was full of all kinds of negative things, he still did the right thing. And therefore, God's telling each of us, you have to know that in order to be in God's book of tzaddikim, you don't have to be a benini and tanya, you don't have to be a perfect person. You just have to withstand the temptation to do what Hashem wants you to do. That's what it's about. So what God calls him a tzaddik, basically it's like similar to the way God says in the first opening sentence of the Ten Commandments, I am Hashem, your God. I am yours. I am here for you. I'm giving you a message. It's for you. The parashat Noach is that um, accolades that God gives to Noach is to tell us that your temptations are meaningful. And God says to you, I know you can do it. They, 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 they don't look at yourself like uh, that you do someone special. In, every, in whatever challenges you have, Hashem says to you, they are, I'm giving them to you specifically, and I know, and, and therefore, because I, Hashem, am giving them to you, I know that you could overcome them. That's point number one. Point number two is like this. Getting back to our original subject about what is most, what is a million dollar thing to say? Well, it's maybe maybe it was the wrong price. Maybe 10 million, 100 million, I know, whatever. Since, since Noah had to go through a metamorphosis, he had to go challenge the entire world. Since he was meant to challenge the entire world, so God had to pump him up. And that's why the Torah only speaks about Noah's virtues in this week's Torah portion, not in the Torah portion before. Because in this Torah portion, we read about Noah having to fight against the whole world and build the ark and, and tell everyone the flood is coming. In order for Noah to do that, he had to hear God believing in him. So God said to him, you're a tzaddik, because God's words created that reality. Our word, in order to create a big person, you have to use big words. God's telling us basically that what, the, what, what a mishpacha is. You know what mishpacha means? Mishpacha. Mishpacha means family. What is the word family made up of? The word family made up of two words. Sameach peh. Joyful and a mouth. What makes a family a family is the fact that people say positive things. We're so, we're so hesitant to say positive things. I say this story about this gentleman who was, um, he was in the store and he asked the guy to borrow his phone. He makes the phone calls. He says, um, he, calls, he, he calls up uh, one lady, Hey, Mrs. Goldstein, um, uh, do, you, do you have a gardener for your home? Yeah, I have a, are you satisfied with your gardener? Because I have a whole uh, of expert gardeners that, that I could offer you. No, no, I'm, our gardener is, is, is really good. Are you sure your gardener is good? Because there's really, really very talented gardeners in the city. And, and you know, I, I don't want you to... I'm really fine with the gardener that I have. My gardener is excellent. Thank you very much. Then he calls up Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Jones. Mrs. Jones, um, do you like a gardener? And no, I'm satisfied with my gardener. Are you sure you're satisfied? My gardener is fantastic. Don't tell me anything about my gardener. My gardener is the best. And, he, and the, the owner of the store feels bad for this guy. And he says to him, listen, don't give up. Eventually, you're going to get a client. He says, thank you for saying that. You see, I'm the gardener. And then, <laughs> I know you're one. 
positive thing from Mrs. Joan and Mrs. Goldstein. They all say terrible stuff. They don't, they don't say anything to me. So I want to know how they felt. I don't know. So I called them up. So people, we're, we're very hesitant to say anything nice to people. We're very hesitant to say something positive and to say something good and make another person feel good. But really, if you think about it, the, the words that you say are able to build a person up. And, um, and that's what Hashem did for Noah. Hashem said to him, you're a tzaddik. By saying those words, God created that, that, that sentiment, that ability. He revealed what Noah was by those words. And similar thing that says about education, when you're talking to your children, you should never make your child feel that they're hopeless, that they, that they can't do it. You always have to give the child the impression that, that they could do it, that they, that, that they have it. And sometimes by saying something positive to the child, you bring that out in the child by, by, by pointing out the, the goodness in them. It, it, it's really in one sentence that you couldn't create the reality that you seek by just saying it. The words that you say reveal and build the person more than the opposite. It's, 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 it's a very frustrating cycle. You say your child frustrates you and then you point out their, their faults and the child mm-hmm. acts worse and then so stop. Stop. Mm-hmm. Point, find a good thing in the child. Point that out. And even when you have to say something to educate the child, you have to be conscious of the fact that you don't want the child walking away thinking, okay, I'm hopeless. Even my mommy thinks I'm hopeless. Anyway, that's what I wanted to share today. Okay. Any questions, comments, criticism, tomatoes, cucumbers?